Well, welcome to our visitors this morning. With the lack of some of our church family here, you do, I must warn, stick out like sore thumbs. We're able to identify each of you and track you down. So we praise the Lord for the absence of the church family that gives rise to the faces of the visitors. And uh, secondly, then I come to you this morning as those visiting with us this morning at Redeemer. You probably did not plan to come to experience perhaps worship at this local church located at 5515 and thinking what I'll go and hear a message on the number 1260. That's not a joke. That's what we're doing. A message on the significance of the number 1260. What I trust, I am no numerical genius and that will be seen. And it is not a code that we are here to decipher. But it is, if I could encourage you before we even begin, it is strengthening, I trust, your life. And the question of, is this applicable to me, that we often think, let's work through a message, let's work through the data of the passage, and then please give me two things to walk away with, or one thing to walk away with, that is so narrow and so concrete, I can then walk away and say, this particular message this morning at this particular church, or these, with these particular individuals, is highly applicable to me. But I want to encourage you this morning that even if we cannot narrowly apply something as specific perhaps as to your money or as to your time, indeed, it is deeply and highly applicable for each of us to be able to recognize the significance, believe it or not, of 1,260 days. In light of that handling, I would ask you to turn in your text of Holy Scripture, if you're joining with us from opening your Bible and you've brought it this morning, I would ask you to turn to Revelation chapter 12, as here at Redeemer we are working our way through the book of Revelation together. We have made it as a church family all the way to chapter 12, and we praise the Lord for His grace in that measure. And the book is becoming clearer and clearer. We began... Uh, our series on the book of Revelation by simply reading through the book. We spent two weeks just reading it. No application, no significant statements were being made. We simply were reading it. And we found the simplicity of the promise made known to each of us, and we've shared that with one another over several months, of some of the most formidable times were not when I was speaking or applying or exegeting some of the strength, most strengthening moments to each of us is the simplicity of reading the text of Scripture. It's been promised us to each who will listen to it even being read is deeply formative. So we read it that way. So certainly we get the gist of the book just from reading it. God wins. God triumphs. There it is. And then that's at one level. And then over a portion of months now, we've worked at perhaps a secondary level to inform the first God wins, and then the book tells us in symbols how it is that he wins. So we've been in that journey of how indeed God is currently winning decisively in the victory of Christ and how he will bring all of this momentary victory to eternal significance, victory forever, a new heaven and a new earth where his people will be gathered with him in blood-washed linens. And so that's what we've been studying for months now together. And this morning, there are three things I hope to accomplish with you. uh, If I could set those parameters with you as we walk through the text together. 
There are three things this morning that you can kind of wrap your mind around. Where is Pastor Adam? Where is he going with me? Number one, I'm hoping to give you a summary of the big picture. I said to you in chapter 12 last week, we looked at scene one of chapter 12. There are three scenes in the same chapter. We looked at the woman, the dragon, and the male child. And for those of you not with us last week, you missed a good one. We summarized these three characters of scene one. We're now moving into scene two. So we're looking at verses 7 through 12 this morning. So the first fruits of what I hope to offer you is a summary of 7 through 12. And then, believe it or not, I hope to clarify the number and its significance of 1260. It appears three times, well, more than that, but in three prominent chapters. That is, we saw it already in chapter 11. We're seeing it again in chapter 12, and then you're going to see it again, and if some of you or any of you come back after today, you'll see it again by the time we get to chapter 13. So we kind of wrestled with it for a moment in chapter 11, but now it's upon us yet again. We have to deal with this number. Is it just so that we can fill our mind with intelligence regarding a numerical code? Absolutely not. And I hope to prove that to you is the case from the text of Holy Scripture. There is more to it than being able to say, I think I somehow know what the number 1260 means. It is, I will argue, probably the most forceful application from this text for you. Then thirdly, what I hope to accomplish with you, my third thing, one, summarize big picture, two, hopefully clarify, shed some sense of light on 1260, and then thirdly, to make brief application to you based on putting the pieces back together and seeing the victory of Christ as it is portrayed in verses 7 through 12. Now that I've said several times to you that I'm going to deal with 7 through 12, I actually want to begin with you, if I could, reading the text beginning in verse 5. So I'm actually going to be a little bit of 5 through 12. But if I could read with you the text of beginning in verse 5. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. So the end of the scene there, kind of, uh, the birth of Christ, his uh, John just quickly hurries through the birth, the incarnation, that is, the birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. It's all pictured in one big swooping event as he shows us in the first scene so that the dragon does not eat him, as it were. That is, this beastly character symbolic for Satan. Verse 6, and the woman then in response, and this is kind of going to guide our time this morning because verse 6 gives way to verse 7. So we're wrestling with 6 to ask the right questions so that we can be good interpreters and find the meaning of the passage and see its tremendous significance. And the woman, in response, fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished in this wilderness for 1,260 days. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels, fighting against the dragon. This is the beginning of scene two. You now have left the earth. That is, in the end of verse six, in your mind as a reader right now, you have left the earth and you're looking at heaven and it's showing you not just what took place on earth, scene one, but now it's correspondence in heaven, scene two of the same events. Now, 
based on that, war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated. There was no place any longer for them in heaven. And the dragon was thrown down. That ancient serpent, you know, who is called the devil, that is Satan, characterized by Christ himself. In the garden of God, we've seen it. You know, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth. And his angels, those, those, those locusts of nine, they were thrown down with him. I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. He who accuses them day and night before our God. They have conquered Him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. For they love not their own lives, even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Victory. But woe to you, O earth and sea. For the devil has come down to you. and He is in great wrath. Why? Why this wrath? Why this fury? Why this outpouring? Because he knows from the scene one, the power of the resurrection, the ascension of Christ, he knows the victory of Christ. He knows that his time is short. If I could summarize for you this scene that I just read for you of the victory of Christ in 7 through 12, or really 5 through 12. We asked that question as I posed to you already. Why is the woman fleeing? Doesn't that beg the question? The woman just had the moment of triumph. She gave birth to the baby that we all thought she wasn't going to be able to give birth to. The dragon was the OB, remember? And he's there. He's ready to eat the child. No offense to Shay. It's symbolic. Find strength in that. Is the birth date, I trust. They have better OBs at women's uh, than the dragon. But in this picture, we see the baby is born. Resurrection has occurred. The child has ascended. The dragon, in other words, is defeated. Then why did the woman run? Where's she running? I, I thought this is the moment of climactic history. The, the moment of victory, but the woman is fleeing now and running for her life. I thought life has just been triumphed. The Christ has achieved his victory. Why is then the woman running is our question. Well, that's the summary of scene 7 through 12. Scene number 2 is the woman is running because the dragon has been decisively defeated. He no longer can stand in heaven accusing the woman. That is, the woman is running because Satan has decisively been defeated in the place of accusation. 
that is defanged in the image of the serpent. He can no longer accuse her before God. He lost his place in heaven's authority. He is now coming to the earth in great wrath. So Christ has achieved victory. And because of that victory, Satan intensifies the war upon the woman. That is, if I can't kill the Christ, I will kill his offspring. This harkens all the way back to the garden of God. And the struggle that we looked at last week between the woman and her seed and Satan and his seed. The struggle intensifies after the resurrection. Woe to you upon the earth. For he comes down with great fury. Because he's been defeated. And he knows his time is short. So in these last days. The war that he wages against the woman. Is most intensified. For he knows his time is short. That's why the woman ran into the wilderness. The image of the wilderness as we get into our text this morning. Many of you have been walking with us through this journey and we've been seeing since chapter 1 the parallelism between Old Testament Israel and New Testament Covenant Church. The parallelism that is at every pass. Everywhere we go we see it. The text is rooted as it applies to you right now in this very moment. It has been rooted in redemptive history. Israel being led out of the Exodus and the great plagues. We looked at that in chapter 9. The image is the same. The plagues are the same. And they're being applied to the church. Is it just one and the same thing? Or is it a parallel account that the church, organically united to Israel, is living a parallel existence with the attack of the dragon? Yes. We watch how they went into the wilderness experience then. And and you recall the book of Numbers and Deuteronomy where Israel comes out of the Exodus and they go into the wilderness. And in this wilderness experience, they are led, remember, by two things. Do you remember? Can you recall, some of you who were here, what was Israel led by, by day and by night in the wilderness experience? Do you recall? Fire and cloud. No surprise then, once we see John commit the church to the same wilderness journey in this time of trial and tribulation, that we see appear yet again. Fire and cloud, chapter 10. Yet now, the fire and the cloud are expressed in their fullness. The Lord Jesus Christ stands, guiding and leading his church in their difficult days. That's chapter 10. So once again, we're still on the same track, aren't we? a parallelism between the church's journey and the church age and that of our forefathers in Israel through our wilderness wandering. And the parallelism continues this morning as the woman, that is the woman, after the resurrection, she runs into the wilderness. Well, now you have a context for understanding that image, don't you? Just like Israel of old ran into the wilderness. Yet in that wilderness time, in that wilderness difficulty, there were exactly that. Difficulty, terror, other nations who sought to kill, seek, and destroy, and devour God's seed. 
And yet there was a tremendous time unparalleled in Israel's history of unique provision and care and nourishment. Do you remember? Deuteronomy, if you wish to look it up a little bit later, is a great text to read in order to kind of fill in some of this material. Deuteronomy 8, where they reclaim God speaks to Israel, how I gave you shoes that never wore out. I fed you with food, but I also at the same time created hunger so that you would know it is me that feeds you. You would turn all the time back to me. So I fed you, yet allowed you to go hungry, to give you more of me. So when you look at all that journey of Israel in the wilderness, you find that it's characterized by terror and distress. We can't go in there. We're going to be killed. We can't take that portion. Let them live there. Look away from them. Maybe they'll leave us alone. Terror and distress, yet unique provision and nourishment. At different times? No. At the same time. So to your life, you're fleeing into the wilderness. You're the woman, by the way, that we wrestled with last week. You're the woman who fled into the wilderness after the resurrection. You're the church. And as we await this 1260-day period, which, by the way, since the resurrection, there's been more than 1260 days, just uh, roughly 1950-plus years. So, okay, so, so far we know that we are the woman. And after the resurrection, we have ran out into the wilderness. Images that are communicating truth. As we know the image related to the image that's already been taught to us since the Old Testament. So what do we understand about the wilderness then? If we are the woman and we are in the wilderness, what can we expect during our wilderness wandering? Terror, difficulty, trial, tribulation, and unique provisions that nourish, protect, care, and provide. That was easy. One more word of continuity, can I say. Israel was being prepared through those trials and tribulations and that great nourishment. What was it providing her for? The promised land. So too, do you think of your life? That this trial, this tribulation... This distress is not random. It is planned upon my dial by the sovereign Lord of the universe who intimately loves me and cares for me and is even in this trial nourishing me, persevering me, and fitting me for the promised land. That is, we're better off through distress than we are without it. As it is a tool in the hand of our loving Father 
to strengthen, to nourish, to cause us to hunger so that he then will keep feeding. This is the dynamic of growth in the Christian experience in the wilderness wandering, if you will, as he is preparing you for a day of great glory, promised land. So there it was. You know the entire redemptive story of the Bible from Israel all the way to the church. And now it's a great parallel and it's being taught to you through images of the Old Testament as Israel of the New Covenant. Okay, so that was the summary. Hopefully we accomplished step one, the summary. The second portion is, as I said to you, to clarify. 1260 days, in other words, is the woman's wandering. She's running. You right now are wandering in the wilderness according to Revelation 12. That is, if you receive from me, as I argued last week and can't argue for you who are new this morning, just take me at face value as best as you can in this moment. That the woman is the church. So if the woman is the church after the resurrection, and it's you, and you're scurrying into the wilderness place, you're supposed to be there for 1260 days. And you're like, wait a minute, as you already said, you kind of shot a hole in your own foot. You told us that it's been more than 1260 days since the resurrection. So therefore, it must not be the church after the resurrection. Otherwise, 1260 is concluded. And I'll take a deep breath and slow down. But I can tell you're with me. So from 1260 days, we have to ask ourselves, uh, what does it mean then by 1260 days? The, the essential question before us already, and again, is, is this all theory? It's important because either this is deeply applicable to you right now, and this text speaks of you, or the other option that we'll get to in a moment is this text speaks of someone else at some other time. Do you find that important to wrestle with? Important to answer? Of course you do. So let's do it. Let's answer it. What about 1260? Well, the number is the same. If I can give this to you, the number 1260 is the same as 42, and it's the same as the image that communicates both. 42 months and 1260 days are the same. Okay? All right, you're with me. I can tell you're, you're still coming, yet wanting to know the next piece. At least I hope. The image that communicates both 1260 and 42 is this image called a time, times, and half a times. I didn't get a chance to read it to you, but it's later in chapter 12. So the question is, in chapter 11, I asked the question, 42 months, remember there's two witnesses in chapter 11. They're witnessing of God and the gospel for 42 months on planet Earth. And so we ask, so is 42 months, where in the world did that number come from? Where's the origin? Why not, let's say, 82 months or one month? Why 42? Where did it come from? And we've already answered that as well. It came from, once again, the exact same thing that all the images are flowing from. The church is parallel to Israel. How many years did Israel encamp or wander in their wilderness experience? 40 years. Two years in transition, 40 years in wilderness. Total encampment of how many? 42. Insightful. We're once again consistently seeing the image of the church as the Israel of God. 42 months. 
there's its origin. But the next question is, okay, so if you receive from me that the number 42 finds its origin in Israel's wandering, and the church is now wandering. So we're one people in one image, and we're both wandering with great terror and distress, yet provision and care, both in preparation for our promised land. So we're, now we're the same. Yet the next question is, when? are the 1260 days if we've had more than 1260 days since the resurrection when then are the 1260 days are they in the future and are they the last 24 hour periods 1260 times and then it's the end of the world as we know it or are the 1260 days meaning something else let me say this we're getting ready to do it together we're going to tackle this issue of 1260 days with great force together. It's rooted in a prophecy. So 42 months, 42 years with Israel's wilderness wandering. Then you come from the book of Numbers and Deuteronomy, and you're coming across your scripture this way. As Revelation is growing on a trajectory to its fullness in Jesus, and as the Revelation continues to unfold, boom, dead center, Daniel. You find this 42 taking more shape in Daniel. And you find this language in Daniel. Time, times, and half a time. Referring to 1260 days. Or a time, one year, times, two years, and half a time. Three and a half years. 1260 is the same as 42, is the same as three and a half years. Let me make this clear to you. Turn to Daniel 9. It's easier that way. Turn to Daniel 9. If you would please, in your Old Testament Holy Scriptures, to Daniel the prophet in chapter 9. As we seek to clarify, and you're saying there has been nothing clear yet. I sense the burden also, beloved. But we must wrestle with this, for I think this gives the greatest force for you and I, to be able to walk in this wilderness period with great promise and understanding. Step one of clarifying Daniel chapter 9, where this number is becoming more and more clear. So we're from 42 with Israel. Daniel has something to say about this 42, and he's filling it out here in chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. He's clarifying this language of 42. As we approach Daniel's 70th week, how many of you in here, because, uh, there, again, I, I, can, I can see all of your visitor faces, so <laughs> I'm able to kind of gauge a little bit. How many of you, including the church family here, have heard of Daniel's 70th week or 70 weeks of Daniel's prophecies? How many have at least heard of that number so that I can kind of wrap my mind around some of it? Okay, great. It's as hard as we've read it or heard it read before. Daniel's 70th week, however, is incredibly applicable to you right now this morning. Everyone agrees as we look at Revelation. Each of us in this room, if you were your own scholar, and you were studying these things, and you're poring over them, and you're thinking, okay, how do I understand 1260? Because I understand if I can grasp 1260, it fills out the entire passage with great force. 
each of us right now in this room, we would come together and we'd sit and we'd say, okay, there's one thing we all agree upon this moment. And that is you and me looking at 1260 agree. This is the last three and a half days of Daniel's seven days. Or if we put it into terms of years, you would say, this is the last three and a half years of Daniel's seven-year prophecy, right? What's half of seven? Three and a half. So you and I, all of us, we're poring over these texts and we're thinking, how can we apply this to the life of the church? Step one, we all agree what we're looking at. Okay, good. So at least we're clear. We're all staring at the exact same chair. Nobody's doubting that. That is to say, each of us agree, all of us in this room right now, that 1260 out of Revelation 12 is the last three and a half years of Daniel's last seven years of Earth's existence. We all agree upon that. You just have to trust me for that. We're all in agreement. You agree with me and I agree with you. Right, exactly. We're all looking at the same thing. This is easy. This is easy. We're moving forward. But then as soon as we go, okay, yeah, this is great. We're all going like this, right? We're all in harmony. We're looking at the last half of Daniel's final week. All right, last three and a half years of human existence. Kumbaya, praise the Lord, this is right. Then I say to you, when do you think those days are occurring? And we all begin to slow down. Unity starts to slow down. Agreeableness begins to kind of shift a little bit. When we come to the point of saying, we agree what we're looking at, but we disagree over when it is that this is going to take place. That is, I'm posing to you the question this morning with great force, I hope, and to draw you into its significance, when are the 1,260 days occurring? That's where we begin to kind of look at different things or apply them in different ways. There is one model that I will share with you. Some of you, perhaps, will have to take this this position this morning. We'll say, someone says, I believe that these 1260 days, and this is important for you, saint, because again, either you're thinking this text is immediately describing me and my life, or it's describing someone in the future and their life. So it's not altogether removed. Some of us would look at these 1260 days or this last half of Daniel's final week of human existence and we'd say, I see it in the future. That is, my position is, I'm a futurist. I see these things occurring way out there somewhere with other people than me. That's position one. Okay, and, and, and those people will go through this last half of Daniel's human existence prophecy. The last half. Three and a half years, 1260 literal 24-hour periods of great distress where the dragon is pursuing them and devouring them. We call that the time of great tribulation. And then these people, not us, again, because if, if you take this position, you and I, beloved, have already been extracted from the world. Have you heard that? We're raptured. We're in glory. We're not going through any of this. This is for someone else at another time. So that's how, that's one position that says, this is all occurring in the future. It's not me, I'm gone. It's other people that are going through this. And these 1260 days, by the way, are 1260, 24 hour periods, the last ones of the late great planet Earth, so to speak. That's it. 
option number two. We're all together on option number two. I can feel it. We're all coming together on this one. Option two. We look at the same number, 1,260 days, and and we look at Daniel's 70th week, and we say this. Actually, the 1,260 days of Revelation 12, where the dragon is pursuing the woman, and she is fleeing into the wilderness, is describing the entire church age. And all of you just fell to the floor in agreement. Or look at me like I'm not so sure. It's describing the ministry of Christ all the way to the consummation of the age where you will be with him in glory forever. And these 1260 days, option two, is to say that since the resurrection, indeed, we're living out this period of 1260 days, meaning it's not the 1950 plus years since the resurrection. It's not 1,260 literal 24-hour periods. Hopefully, as is this part of the sermon, the clarification part, (laughs) hopefully I'm going to be able to demonstrate that from Daniel's 70th week prophecy. So if you look with me, whether whether you're uh, familiar with this or not, just look at the text with me, and let's just walk our way briefly through Daniel 9, 24 through 27, and then we'll finally come right back to Revelation 12 and hopefully bring all of this home. Trust me, beloved. Just give me the confidence. Maybe I'll blow it in the end. I'm not sure. But give me the confidence until I do. This is deeply applicable to your life. Trust me. Let's look at Daniel 9, 24 through 27 briefly. Okay, so we're in the text. I'm going to begin with you reading through the passage as is intended. Verse 24. 70 weeks This is the angel Gabriel telling the studious Daniel. Here is Daniel sitting and Gabriel appears to him and tells him this. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and about uh, your holy city. Now look at these wonderful things that begin to unfold in this 70 week period. Mark them, beloved. We're going to come back to them in a few moments. To finish the transgression in the 70 week period. In this 70 weeks, transgression will be finished. Put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Who already are you identifying in this text? All of you are like, I wasn't really reading along. Come on, read along. Who are you identifying in this text? It is the Lord Jesus Christ. 70-week period will account for the work of Christ. He will finish the transgression. He will put an end to the sin. He will atone for iniquity. He will bring in everlasting righteousness, all of which you sang and celebrated this morning. And he indeed, in his person and work, will seal up both vision and profit and anoint a most holy place. Verse 25, know therefore, Daniel, and understand this is how it's going to unfold in human history. From the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem and to the coming of an anointed one. So, there's a decree. Go and build Jerusalem. Anointed one is going to come. The anointed one is Jesus. A prince. There shall be seven weeks. So, 
Out of 70, how many weeks have we accomplished? We've accomplished seven of the 70. Then for 62 weeks, it shall be built again with squares and with moat. That is Jerusalem. But in a troubled and difficult time. So, so far, the text has taught us about human history. How many weeks of the 70 have been accomplished? 62 plus 7. How many weeks of 70 have been accomplished by the time Christ comes? 69 weeks, right? My My math is getting squared away here by all of you who I meet and introduce myself to and are all much smarter than myself. So I can double check. 69, right? So far, out of the 70 weeks that are prophesied about human history, there are 70 weeks. 69 by the time of Christ have been fulfilled. Okay, so this leaves us with the question that I've already presented to you. Are we in Daniel's 70th week? The second half of it. I'm about to read it for you. And you're asking yourself, am I in Daniel's 70th week? Or is Daniel's 70th week going to occur with the 1260 days somewhere in the future to someone other than me? So you're getting ready to read. You know that you stand within this passage at 69 of the 70 weeks have been fulfilled. So you're paying careful attention to what's about to be told to you about the 70th one. Okay? Here we go into the text. Verse 26. And after, double underline, double underline, exclamation point, exclamation point in significance. And after the 62 weeks, right? So 62 plus 7 means after the 69th week. We, we have 69 weeks accomplished in verse 26 now. 26, the very first portion, after 69 weeks. Beloved, let me ask you this question at this point in the prophecy. What week comes after the 69th? I know, just, just play along, please. I'm not, I'm not seeking to insult. I'm not seeking to, 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 to... I just want to make sure we're all together. What comes after 69 is indeed... I'll answer it, that's fine. Just save yourselves, just save yourselves. 70, okay, we got it. Together we stand on the cusp of understanding this text. Are we right now in the 70th week? Well, so far we know after 69 would mean 70. So in the 70th week, look with me in this text again as we walk forward. After the 69 weeks, or the one week plus the 62, meaning 69, After that, that is now 70 weeks has occurred, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. Who is the anointed one in our passage so far? It is the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the beginning of the 70th week, he is cut off and he has nothing. What is this referring to? The cross. When does the cross occur in Daniel's prophecy? At the beginning of the 70th week. At the beginning of the 70th week, the cross of Christ has taken place. 
This is uniting us now to Revelation 12 because we just looked at the resurrection. The cross work of Christ has been ascended unto glory. So what does 12 and Daniel 9 have to say about one another? So far we realize the 70th week has begun in human history with the event of the cross. You're living in Daniel's 70th week. Now the question is this, in the first half or the second half? That is, are you living in three and a half years of the final week, the three and a half days, the 1260? The first half of the week, beloved, occurred at the crucifixion. This prophecy is being fulfilled. Look at this text with me as we just finish our moments in this passage. He shall have nothing, and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. That is, Jerusalem will be destroyed after the crucifixion. Its end shall come with a flood. And to the end, there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. Jerusalem, in other words, after the resurrection of Christ, will be destroyed. Can you think with me in crass terms of secular history or religious history? Was Jerusalem ever destroyed after the resurrection of Christ? 70 AD. So we realize the 70th week is occurring. The Messiah was cut off in its first portion of the first half of the week. That is, in its first three and a half, the Messiah came, performed his ministry, achieved redemption for you was crucified and cut off, had nothing captured in the prayer. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And was raised, John tells us, and caught up to his father. The dragon did not achieve victory. Christ raised from the dead, hallelujah. He ascended to the father in the first half of Daniel's final week first half of Daniel's final week. So that leaves how much of the last week to remain in human history? Half. Half of the last 70th week. Because we know the first half of the 70th week is already done. Christ raised from the dead. Jerusalem, as is prophesied, was destroyed in uh, 70 AD. So here we sit, beloved, on the second half of the final week of human history. Let me finish this text and we'll go right back to Revelation 12 and see how this all comes together. Desolations are decreed, verse 27, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week and for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. Who makes the strong covenant and puts an end to sacrifice and offering? It is the Christ. Who else? could make a strong covenant prevail. Who else instituted, beloved, the new covenant that was cut in his flesh? When Daniel speaks about one who will come and will cut a strong covenant for many, is that an antichrist? He appears and he makes a covenant and then he breaks it? Or is it the great eternal covenant of the Christ that he causes to prevail for many? And he puts an end in his own flesh, beloved. Sacrifices and offerings. He did it in himself 
in the first half of Daniel's 70th week, he achieved eternal redemption for you. You no longer come by the blood of a goat or a sheep, do you? You no longer offer offerings. You no longer seek a better vision or a better prophecy. Jesus is the highest point of revelation. He put an end to prophecy and vision. He ended the Old Testament and brought in the new. And how did he do it? Through his own blood. So if that occurred, as Daniel just said in verse 27, in the first half of the final week of human history, we have half a week remaining of human history. We have the resurrection at the final first half of human history, and we have half a week remaining. And you've run into the wilderness to live out that last half of Daniel's 70th week. 1260 days or as we see in Daniel 42 months or time times and half a time is you and by virtue of it being you we can quite easily see it's not physically 1260 24 hour periods of human existence It's the great three and a half years of Daniel's 70th week, the time of distress. Let me just briefly show you back in Revelation 12 now how we see that from the numbers themselves right out of Revelation 12. I'll make brief application of our time together, and then we'll end our time around God's word this morning. Turn with me, if you would, back to Revelation 12 so that we can kind of put this final piece back together, if I could. Back in Revelation 12, let me just give you a brief summary of the numbers and how they are functioning in this 1260-day period. If you could, beloved, just wrap your mind around simply this. 1260 is communicating the final church age of which you are a part, and it is characterized by two things. Opposition to Christ and his gospel lived through the church, and yet though you be persecuted, marginalized, berated, made fun of, sloppily represented, you are also being vindicated and protected and nourished by your ascended Lord. That's occurring not to someone else in the future. It's occurring right now on your behalf. Every time you see the number 42, let me highlight for you. So if we could bring finally three images together that speak of one final week of human history. 